as always, it's so much better uh, when we worship God, not just by his word alone, but in song. And so I'm thankful for part of our worship team to be here uh, to lead us in song. I want to show you something. Um, I know some of you are thinking it's Palm Sunday. We were supposed to do communion today and I'm grabbing Pop-Tarts. We're not doing communion with Pop-Tarts at home, but I'm, I want to show something to you. Um, I had to laugh at a comment by comedian Brian Regan. Brian was talking about Pop-Tarts and he said there's actually instructions on the side of the box of Pop-Tarts and I didn't realize it. So I looked and sure enough, there are instructions on the Pop-Tart box. Like, number one, remove from the foil before heating. Like, you know, of course, we're sitting there saying, duh, right? Okay. But listen, there's not just instructions for one, but for three things. For the toaster, for the microwave, and for the freezer. Yes, uh, we actually need instructions to know how to eat Pop-Tarts. But what I had to laugh about what Brian was saying was, if you look at the instructions for the microwave, it says, put on the microwave safe plate. That's a good idea. Heat three seconds before it's warm enough to eat. Let it cool, then enjoy. Delicious. Mm. Three seconds. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are we living in that fast pace of a world that we don't have time to make breakfast? It's like, oh, I got us three seconds. You know what? I can nuke a Pop-Tart and I'm good to go, right? It, to me, that just seems crazy that our culture thrives on speed and instantaneous satisfaction. I need it now. I need it immediately, right? Well, that's sort of the way it is. And I, and I get it because I have a hard time. I struggle with watching a ball game that's going to be two or three hours. I would rather fast forward through the, the in-between plays. Uh, get me right to the action. Get me to the highlights. Actually, get me to the end of the game. I want to know if my team's going to win. Right? But that's the culture we're in. We're living in a time when we desire instant answers and immediate satisfaction. And that's being tested right now. I mean, you think about this. I have to stay at home for two weeks. Oh, no, now, now make it another four weeks. Oh, okay, well, this makes it hard for me to get my things done immediately. Or I can't hang out with my friends for how long? Oh, that's, that's too long. Can we just shorten it up? Can we nuke it and make it like three days instead? Ah, here's the thing. If you, if you want, you could do this. You can grab a piece of paper and a pencil or pen and sort of make uh, two columns here if you want. And, and put one word and make them the opposite. So, for instance, if you put happy, success over here, and maybe loved over here, but on the opposite side, put the opposite of those words. Because I want you to think about what we choose in life. You know, we want good feelings, not pain. We want peace, not strife, right? We want courage, not fear. We want simplicity, not confusion. We want life, not death. I mean, Seriously, what are, what are we longing for right now? All these things, right? What we are longing for is heaven. And we want it here on earth. And that's hard because it ain't going to happen. But all those things we long for and we want right now, it's not going to happen immediately. Because those things that we long for, the things that God's placed in our heart net, is an eternity. But I want you to think about, so what are you facing right now? What is it that you're struggling with? What is it lingering in your heart right now? You just, I wish it was gone, but it's still lingering there. Because again, we live in an immediate, I want it now, culture, right? But right now this is lingering. What is it? Is it 
fear? Is this fear lingering in your heart? Because, well, what if, what if I get sick and what if I lose my job, right? Maybe doubt and confusion is lingering because there's so much misinformation and so much conflicting information. I just want the right information. Can you give it to me now? Maybe it's shame is lingering. Maybe you've lost your job. You've lost your position. Maybe you're not able to help people like you used to, and you feel ashamed of that. And that's lingering. Maybe it's identity identity conflict. What I mean by that is you've, you've, your identity has been wrapped up in sport. It's been wrapped up in your job. Those are the things that you thought gave you value, and because you can't do those things right now, you're like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Maybe it's certain milestones in your life. Seniors. Prom, graduation, those are milestones, right? And they're not happening. And it's like, it's just lingering there. It's like, what do I do with this? Maybe it's just our health with the coronavirus and other issues, sickness, flu, cancer. Those things linger. And it's like, I just want immediate answers. I want immediate satisfaction. And, and as I've said before, pain is pain, regardless of what you're going through. We all have it in one form or another. And it does no good to compare our pain to the pain of what other people have. I mean, it's like, it's like going up to you and saying, wow, you had a really horrible day. Congratulations. Here's your bad day trophy. I'm just going to give that to you. Congratulations. Way to go. It's like some of us want that, right? I mean, how do we handle this pain? Do we, do we take our bad day full of pain trophies and show them to people like, hey, look what I'm going through. Some people don't want anybody to know what they're going through. They hide their pain. Some people seek help in their pain. They go for counseling or they share with a friend. Other people just hold it in. But what if I told you that God understands, that God cares? In the midst of this, I want answers now. I want to immediately be taken care of. You know, again, stick it in the microwave. Three seconds, solve my problems, God. And it's not happening. What if I told you in the midst of your weight, in the midst of your pain, God says, I understand and I care. Most of us would say, yes, God understands. Yes, God cares. I get that. But in the back of our mind, we're probably still wondering if God cares, then why is he allowing this to happen? If God cares, why aren't things getting better? If God cares, why am I not getting an answer for help today? Well, we entertain the thought that maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't understand. Church, listen to me. I believe that God does understand. I believe that God does care. And I implore you to do the same. Don't equate his silence with a lack of care. There were long periods of silence in the Bible when people were asking, hey, where's God? When Noah was on the ark, it wasn't just 40 days and 40 nights of rain. It was a year of being on that ark until he was able to get off. That's a long time to be isolated over a year, right? How about when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt? 400 years of slavery. How about the time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament when nobody heard from God? 400 years. Oh, you talk about waiting for a long time for God to show up. 
How many people in the New Testament that Jesus healed, they were demon-possessed, they were crippled, they were, had a bleeding disorder that lasted for not just days, not just weeks or months, but years. How long was that until God reacted, till Jesus healed them? Because we live in a world of instant and immediate, we expect instant God, right? Instant healing from the COVID-19. Instant back to school. Instant back to work. Instant what? Sports. Instant gathering. But it's not instant right now, is it? Can we really patiently endure this time? You know what? The people in biblical times, they did not have the scripture there in front of them. They did not have God's word that showed them that a mighty God wins in the end. That God will reply. God will heal. God will show up. God does understand. God does care. And God acts in love in spite of what appears to be a time of delay or waiting. If you remember that storm at the sea when Jesus was with the disciples on the boat and it got all stormy. Jesus was sleeping. And, and the disciples went to Jesus. They went and woke him up. And, and they said, don't you care? How many times have we wanted to say that to God, right? And it's like Jesus opened his eyes and he, he looked at them and sort of like a bunch of senseless fools. He didn't say it, but he looks at them like a, a trusting father who wonders, why are you not understanding what I've said before? Why are you asking me something that I've answered multiple times? He gives them that kind of look, you know, and without words of affirmation, he didn't say anything. But what he does basically screams, yes, I care. And he silenced the storm. And then without words, without words, it's like he looks at his disciples and says, do I care? Oh, I care enough to eliminate all your worries and your struggles and your pain and your emotional distraught. But that's not why I came to this planet. I didn't come here to give you all these things. I came here to save you, not from a storm, but from something worse. I came here to save you from sin. I came here to save you from separation from God. Grab your Bibles. And here's the thing about today. Um, you're going to get swamped with a tsunami of scripture, okay? I mean, it's just going to flood right in. And so be ready to move in your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture. I'm not going to be commentating much on some of the scripture. I'll throw a little bit here and there, but I want to do a lot of reading today. So bear with me and follow with me if you can. First, first scripture is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. It starts off in verse 13 saying, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us all hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, church, listen to me. Know this truth, please. God sees and God sees it all. Go back to verse 13. Nothing 
And I, if we were at church right now, I'd say, let me hear you say nothing. And you'd all say, nothing. Good. Look at the person next to you in your house. Say nothing. If you're sitting there by yourself, just look back at the TV screen or your computer screen. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Answer, answer this question. Can you hide anything from God? No. It's like playing that game when you hide that coin in your hand. You're like, okay, which hand is it in? It's like going to God. Hey, God, which? He goes, left. Oh, got me again. Right? He already knows. You can't hide it from him. Hey, God, you want to play hide and seek? I'm going to go to hide. He already found you. You just can't do that because he sees it all, right? Psalm 139 says this. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know when my thoughts are even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Verse 4, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand a blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. When you read this scripture, it's, it's understanding this. God knows us. And if God knows us, then he also knows what I'm dealing with, right? Isn't that a praise to God right there? If God knows you, he knows what you're dealing with. So right now where you're sitting, what are you dealing with? You probably haven't shared it with me. You probably haven't shared it with somebody else. Maybe one or two people. But here's the thing. God already knows. God already knows. I don't have to say, hey, God, look at this. Hey, God, look at this. He already sees it. Back when my boys were, were, were little, and we were on vacation, and we had some video uh, recordings and looking back at them. There's a couple recordings where Carter was always, when he was really little, he was like, Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! Look here! Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! And it was nonstop, and we just chuckled and laughed as we watched this recording of him always going, Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! We don't have to do that with God. Hey, God! Hey, God! Look! It's like, God's like, I already see it. Because I, I see everything, right? He sees it all. He knows what's going on externally, but he also knows what's going on internally. Doubts, fears, pains, selfishness, anxiety, all of it. I don't know if you've heard of the saying, you have to walk in somebody else's shoes before you judge them. I don't know if you've heard that saying before, but basically, you must go through it yourself to understand what they're going through. You have to walk in their shoes. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed sort of stabbed in the back by a friend. Maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe you've felt lonely as so nobody, you sit there thinking, nobody understands my feelings. I feel so lonely or they don't just, they don't get you. Have you ever been lied about or lied to? Have you been misjudged or looked at wrong? Have you been mistreated? Have you been disrespected? Have you been physically abused, hurt, or beaten? Have you been laughed at or made fun of? Are, are you physically hurting now? Have you been humiliated and shamed? Have you been in those shoes? Some of you can probably answer yes to some of those things. And let me say this, and listen very carefully. Jesus has been in those shoes. 
If you're sitting there saying, he doesn't know how I feel, I'm going to tell you right now, he does. Jesus has been in those shoes. He's went through it. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 I read earlier. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all, not some, all of the testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. You know, I share with a lot of teams that I work with about a, a gentleman by the name of Jim Thorpe. He was considered to be one of the greatest athletes. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jim Thorpe before. He was the first 3,000-yard rusher in college football. Never ran track, but in 1912, he was encouraged to compete. So he did so in the 1912 Olympics. As an American Indian from Oklahoma, he represented the U.S. track and field. And he competed in the decathlon and the pentathlon. Fifteen events in less than a week. He won eight of those 15 winning two gold medals. Now, but the amazing thing is how he did it. You see, this Jim Thorpe, and I'm going to show you another picture. If you look closely down at his feet, the picture on the right side, you're going to notice it looks like two different shoes and two different socks. See, on the morning of day number two, in the decathlon, his shoes were stolen. Now, this is 1912. You just don't run down to the sporting goods store. You don't call mom and bring you more shoes. There's nothing. You're done. Most people give up when things, bad things happen, right? In this situation, he didn't give up. He just decided to find another way. He found one shoe in a garbage can. His coach found another shoe. So with those two shoes, he now has a pair of shoes to wear. But one shoe is bigger than his foot. So he has to wear a thick extra pair of socks so that his foot doesn't slide around too much in that shoe. Can you imagine running in somebody else's shoes, two different pairs, they don't fit right, they're old. Remember, one's in a garbage can. Back in 1912, if it is in the garbage can, it's because it's no good. Not like today where we might find something we can recycle. There's no recycling to this. But he wore them anyway. And that day he had the high jump, the 110 meter hurdles, and the 1500 meter race, and he ran in those shoes. And he won gold. You know, life isn't fair. They weren't his shoes, but he put them on anyway. He wore them and he won. Now, why do I bring that up? Because Jesus did the same thing for you and I. He stepped into the shoes of humanity. Not just to experience what we experience, but to bring victory in us. Take that. Understand that. John chapter 18. Turn there with me, please. John chapter 18. Remember, Jesus and his disciples left the upper room. He shared with them the power of abiding in him. Peace, love, joy that comes from abiding in him. Remember, the command is to abide, right? We've talked about the last two weeks. So that when we face tough times, when we need to show the world, guess what? My abiding in him has produced a plump, fruitful believer that's ready to be victorious. Now, disciples and Jesus, they move into the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're going to continue to teach and share his final words to the disciples. They arrive at the garden to pray, and they do pray, but it all unfolds. And again, I'm not going to give you much commentary during the next 15 minutes. I'm just going to read scripture. So let's do this. John chapter 18, verse 1. We start off with, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples, and he entered a grove of olive trees. Matthew 26, starting in verse 37, says, He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he went on a little bit further and he bowed his face to the ground. Mark chapter 14, verse 35 says, If it were possible, remove this awful hour awaiting me. Reading on in Matthew 26, praying, Jesus said, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yes, I want your will to be done, not mine. Verse 40 said, Then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so you will not be given to temptation. For the spirit's willing, but the body's weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now the book of Luke chapter 22, 44 says he prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Back to Matthew, verse 43. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time. Saying the same thing again. Then he came to his disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. These slides that I'm going to be showing you, I'm going to walk you through from from the moment they left the upper room and they're in the Garden of Gethsemane to the time that Jesus is buried. You're going to see these. And what I want you to see is there's a picture on the right, maybe give you an idea, but the scripture on the left with the shoes that Jesus walked in. The first one, distress. His soul grieves, emotional anguish. You've gone through that? Jesus has too. So as I go through these, you're going to see what Jesus went through, that these are the same shoes that you wear, he wore. Got that? All right, let's continue on. Jesus then experiences betrayal as he's stabbed in the back, so to say. John chapter 18, verse 2 says, Judas the betrayer knew this place, the garden, because Jesus had gone there with his disciples. Luke chapter 22, 47 to 48 says, A crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Then Jesus experienced misjudgment, intimidation. John 18, 3, the leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the Olive Grove. Let me, here's, here's my commentary. Roman soldiers, a contingent, was three to six hundred. Three hundred to six hundred Roman soldiers. Uh, other gospels use Greek, uh, the Greek language means massive, a large amount. The weapons, it was, when it says weapons, that's the full weaponry of a Roman soldier. Shield, armor, the knife, the sword. He was fully geared up. Um, and then they had their lights, which was like a, a modern day flashlight, and then their torches, which also lit up the area they walked. This was a huge, massive mob that came to get him. You talk about intimidation, right? A little overkill here. Maybe they misjudged Jesus. You get that uneasy feeling when something's going down. It's like, what's going on? There's a lot happening. This is that moment right there. When you're just feeling like overwhelmed and intimidated, right? John 4.4 4 went on to say, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and they fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And once again, they replied, Jesus Nazarene. 
Jesus said, I told you, I am he. And since I am the one you want, leave these others go. And he did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father's given me? So the soldiers, the commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and he tied him up. Jesus then experiences this abandonment, this being left alone. Mark chapter 14, verses 50 to 52 says, Then all his disciples deserted him and they ran away. One young man followed behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and he ran away naked. And then Jesus experienced his first trial with Annas. John eight thirteen says, First they took him to Annas since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish believers, it's better that one man should die for the people. And then he experienced another trial with Caiaphas. John 18, 24, and verse 28 says, Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours that morning. We go to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 57. It tells us what happened at that trial. Then the high priest tore his clothing, and this is at the end of the trial. The high priest tore his clothing and showed the horror and said, Blasphemy. Why do we need any other witnesses? You've all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in the face of Jesus and beat him with their fists. Some slapped him, jeering, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you that time? Luke chapter 22 Verse 63 says, the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us. Who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Jesus experiences all the trial. And then Jesus experienced the denial. I thought you loved me, but you denied me, right? John chapter 18 Starting in verse 15, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another disciple. Some believe it was John. The other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gates. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, hey, you're not one of those, that man's disciples, are you? No, no, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and his guards made a charcoal fire. They stood around it. They warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Verse 25 of John 18 goes on to say, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself. They asked him, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I'm not. No. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Verse 27, and again, Peter denied it. And immediately, the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said. Then Jesus experienced another trial. This time, it was before Pilate, the Roman authority. John 18, 28b says, then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. 
right. You guys are already a bunch of murderers. And they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and said, what's your charge against this man? We shouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then they took him away. He said, I'm sorry, then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate said. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. And this fulfilled the prediction by Jesus how he would die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters and he called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he said. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate answered. Jesus then was taken to Herod. Pilate's like, I'm going to move him on to Herod, my buddy, right? Actually, they hated each other, but that day they became friends. Luke chapter 23, verses 8 to 12 said, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he heard about him. He'd been hoping for a long time to see Jesus perform a miracle. He asked Jesus this question after question, but Jesus refused to answer the questions. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and they sent him back to Pilate. John chapter 18, verse 38 says, Then he went out again to the people and they told him, He's not guilty of any crime, but we have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Jesus then experienced the flogging, the beating, and the mocking. John 19.1 says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews! They mocked as they slapped him in the face. And then Jesus stepped into the shoes of humiliation. John 19, 48 says, Pilate went, Pilate went outside again. And he said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now. And understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here's the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. And the Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever before. So then Jesus stepped into the shoes in one final trial before Pilate. John 19, verse 9 says, He took Jesus back into headquarters and he asked him again, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus said, 
you have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat at the platform. that's called the stone pavement. It was now about noon, the day of the preparation of Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. And then Jesus stepped into the shoes of that mob mentality. People shouting and yelling. John chapter 19, verse 15 says, Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate said. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. And they took Jesus away. Then Jesus stepped into the shoes of physical beating. Matthew 27, 27 says some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and they called out the entire regiment. They stripped him. They put on a scarlet robe on They They wove thorn branches into a crown. They put it on his head and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him. They mocked him and they taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him. They grabbed the stick and they struck him on the head with it. When they're finally tired of mocking him, when they're tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. And then Jesus stepped into the shoes of more humiliation. John nineteen seventeen says, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, that's Golgotha. It was a long path through the city streets where the crowds bantered him and they yelled at him. And then he stepped into the shoes that none of us can step into. The cruelest of all executions, shame, the crucifixion. Everyone in these times, everyone in these biblical times knew that the act of crucifixion was the most shameful way to die. And again, as I said before, this is where our comparison stops. You said you had a bad day. It stops here. Not one of us can step into these shoes. John nineteen eighteen says, There, they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from king of the Jews to he said I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate said, no, I've written what I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them, and they took his robe but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that said, they divided my garments among them and they threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Then Jesus stops, steps into more shoes yet. Those who are mocked. 
The mocking continues. Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 says, The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their hands, their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, come down off the cross and save yourself. The leading priest, the teacher of the religious law, the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others. They scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and then we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the thieves, the revolutionaries on either side of them, ridiculed him the same way. Then Jesus stepped into the shoes of death. Final breath, John chapter 19, verse 25. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And he fulfilled scripture and he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there and they soaked it in a sponge and they put it on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It was a day of preparation. The Jewish leaders didn't want anybody hanging there. The next day, which was the Sabbath, a very special Sabbath, because it was the Passover week. So they asked Pilate, let's hasten to death by ordering that their legs be broken so that their bodies can be taken down. So the soldiers came along and they broke the legs of the two men that were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed. This report is from the night witness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that we can continue to believe. These things happen in fulfillment of the scriptures. Say not one of his bones will be broken. And they will look on the one they pierced. Then Jesus steps in the shoes of a burial. John 19, 38 says, Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been with a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down. When Pilate gave permission, Jesus came and I'm sorry, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the one who had come in Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. They placed the crucifixion. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, And since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. As I said, a lot of scripture, and I know we're going long. But I want to answer this, or ask you this question. Does God care about you? Yes. (laughs) If you were reading along and listening, the answer is yes. God loves you guys so much. This is the most divine thing that God could do, is to take on humanity and come to earth to save us, not to make us rich, not to make us happy, not to make us socially together and enjoy our time with each other. He came to take our filth and sin and exchange it for a restored relationship with God. 
the creator, holy, just, almighty God. Remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 said, So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. God became man. He stepped onto this planet, stepped into that of humanity, and experienced all that we've ever experienced without sinning. He stepped into our shoes. He did this because he cares about you. He did this because God loves you. And Jesus knew it was coming too. He knew the flogging. He knew the whipping. He knew the beating. He knew the mocking was coming. He told his disciples in Luke 18, 31 to 33. He told them, it's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans. I will be mocked. I'll be treated shamefully. I'll be spit upon. They'll, they'll flog him with a whip and they'll kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise. And he told his disciples this. It's going to happen. And he still came anyway. That's love. Church, listen to me. So in light of all that I've shared with you this morning, and, and again, I, this is Palm Sunday, and I know I'm going long, but what else are you going to do this morning? Okay? So let us come boldly to him. Scripture says, in, in light of all this, let us come boldly to him. Right where you're at right now. You think your shoes are bad? He's been in your shoes. So come boldly to the throne of God. Share with him what's going on. Find mercy, find grace, find peace at the throne of God. I love what the Hebrew, uh, the, the writer in Hebrews 12 says in verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. Now listen, he says, let us run with endurance the race God set before us. You say, I don't know if I can go another four weeks in my home with my family. I don't know if I can go another four weeks of online school. No work. I'm getting stressed out. Hey, what's your struggle? This is the race now that God's placed before you. Run this race with endurance. As a Christian, you get to show the world how you're going to run with endurance. Going on verse 2, it says, we do this. How do we do this? We keep our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiated and perfected our faith because of the joy awaiting him. Listen, he endured the cross. He disregarded the shame. Now you see that the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You start having your own little pity party. I can't handle my isolation. I can't handle this right now. Just start scrolling through all those slides that I just showed you what Jesus went through. He's been in your shoes. And he says, I'm with you now. I love you. You can do this. Endure the race. Endure the race. Listen, as I said, this is Palm Sunday. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. This is Palm Sunday. And some of us are like, hey, shouldn't we be singing about Jesus coming in, riding in? You know, Hosanna. And it's all exciting. And we're waving the palm branches. Here comes the king, right? And then, and then how about we just fast forward to Easter next week? Get our little white bonnets and our chocolate bunnies and, and get together with our friends. And we look for Easter eggs. And it's, it's a good time, right? Listen, between Palm Sunday and Easter there was a horrible week of things that took place. You cannot get to the resurrection without the cross. Empty tomb, that's a lot easier to deal with than a dying Savior on a cross, isn't it? But when we consider all the pain and suffering that went through the Holy Week, it should remind us that He's been in our shoes and He cares about you.
that he loves you. Jesus endured the cross. He disregarded the shame for you and me. Listen very carefully. Before I pray, I want to just ask you again. Do you know this God who loves you? Have you placed your faith in this God who loves you? Have you confessed your sins to a holy God? Right now where you're at, if you haven't, just bow your head right now. Just close your eyes and say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to come to earth, to step into these shoes of humanity, to go through the beating, the mockery, the humiliation, the trial, the spitting, the, the flogging, the crucifixion, and shame for me. Thank you. You did that to get rid of my sin. Forgive me of my sins, God. Take them away. I'm sorry. I trust you. It's been three long weeks. It's longer than that for you, what you went through. I know you'll be with me because I've asked for forgiveness. Come into my heart. Help me to endure. Help me to live for you. Help me not to just survive, but help me to thrive by abiding in you. I love you, Lord. Just pray. Those are my words. It can be your words. Make it come from your heart. Let's all bow now. Heavenly Father, what an awesome, amazing God you are that you love us so much to do this for us. Thank you for stepping into the shoes of humanity and you never lost your divine nature when you did that. You are still God. Mm. You did that for us. Thank you, God. Thank you. Lord, we love you. That's all we can do right now is say thank you. Help us to sing to you, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen.